Touch Podcast. My name is Derek Carr. I've been off for a little bit. I was sick for a little bit, so I couldn't talk, and uh, then I moved. So we're back with a bang. we got Secret Smith here from NBA.com. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Doing fantastic. Ready to get back in the swing of things. we got a little bit of an all-star break here. Um, we're going to the stretch run. Um, I had one, to start us off, one kind of interesting idea. It seems like the, other than maybe the Rockets and the Warriors, the playoffs are going to be very wide open this year in terms of um, very equal teams. What do you think about that? I think it's, you know, not necessarily just equal teams. I think it's, uh, you know, just parity, kind of mm-hmm. rear ugly head. And I, and I know that some people are proponents of that. Um, I don't mind there being a, a gulf between the elite teams and the teams trying to get there. But I do appreciate the fact that the the field has kind of uh, bunched together here. You know, you still have the Rockets and the Warriors way out ahead of the crowd in the West. Um, but everybody else, you know, even on the East side, you know, there's not a whole lot of separation between the rest of the field. So I, I, I appreciate the fact that there are teams that have worked to get themselves in this position to for it to be kind of anybody anybody's game come playoff time. Yeah, I mean, for example, the Spurs have just been devastated by injuries. I mean, we all hope Hawaii can come back soon enough. Um, and they're doing kind of incredibly well for their by far best player to uh, be injured for so long. Uh, but and they're they're just hanging on there. But there's everybody else, them, the Thunder, everybody's bunched up. They all have their flaws, and it's interesting to see how it's going to uh, turn out. Um, yeah, I don't know that I, I don't know that I feel like there's anybody else that you can even look at and say they're guaranteed to make it. You know, uh, two rounds deep in the West. I mean, it, it's oh, literally yeah. up for grabs right now in the West, outside of the Rockets and the Warriors, which I think makes for a better playoff. I think that just makes for more intriguing playoffs. Definitely, and it's kind of like who hits the buzz of the Rockets Warriors first. That's every game's going to come down to the end, and they're going to. It's like who can avoid the seven, eight seed in the West. Yeah, I, I was laughing about that with somebody earlier today. Um, who's the team nobody wants to play? And I think it's the most, you know, uh, schizophrenic team, and that's Oklahoma City. Like mm. you, you think you think you might be able to handle them until you recognize what they have, you know, in terms of their top three guys. You put them in a playoff series, not knowing what you'll get. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it can be interesting. I mean, totally. All I have to, all Carmelo has to do is catch fire, and then you're that's two games basically that you're not going to win probably <laughs> against exactly. them. And uh, Paul George is just on another level, and can he can get to another level? I mean, and Westbrook, well, it's gonna be interesting. I think they're to me in my mind because of just star power and because of how uh, playoff rotation is shortened. I guess they uh, you might put them as the third seed, or they or they're the third best team in the West potentially. Um, but they do have their flaws, and they seem to not play as consistently. Um, but that's so that's definitely something. There's all these bubble teams that can make it, like the Clippers. I don't know what the Clippers are anymore. They're just a very interesting, weird team. What do you think about them? They don't know what they are anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, their identity has been stripped away. You know, for for the last six years, they've been, you know, Blake and CP is the the head of the snake out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Black I think they a great job. Uh, you know getting them through the season, which has been tumultuous to say the least after Chris Paul leaves in the offseason. But, you know, the, to me, what we're seeing is a lot of good teams, uh, maybe not as many great teams as, as we'd like, 
but we're seeing some really fine coaching jobs, and then we're seeing guys like Lou Williams for the Clippers and, mm-hmm. and others really step up and fill the void on teams that, that lack, you know, star power otherwise. And I think the Pelicans are a great example, the way they're playing right now with mm-hmm. Boogie going down. You know, you think about all these guys who have been injured and, you know, all the different things that have befallen teams around the league, you're getting a chance to see some other guys step up and uh, and show you that they're maybe a little bit more uh, in terms of what, what you think they are uh, on their respective teams. And that's good. That's like, you know, the league changes, man. It's a living and breathing organism. Um, it's, it's not a static thing where it's just, okay, here to start players and everybody else falls in line. It, it comes and goes in a given season based on the injuries, based on the opportunity for young guys to step up, based on, you know, the opportunity for some older guys to maybe step into different roles, and that's what makes it so special. Yeah, I've heard people comment and say kind of the season is like really three seasons in one. It's like uh, and it ebbs and flows. I mean, think about that Miami team. Was it last year, the year before, where they – I think it was last year where they went uh, – was like thirteen thirty and then thirty and thirteen or something. Yeah, like yeah, they, that is a that's a different team, a completely different team, and how they're playing, the chemistry, the ability of uh, role players to step up. Like you're saying for sure. Um, Anthony Davis just kind of went crazy. I was able to catch the catch the box score, but not necessarily the game. The Suns played uh, the Pelicans there, and uh, Anthony Davis put up fifty, uh, 50 I think fifty three and eighteen, and uh, Booker put up forty forty yeah, ten and, and seven. <laughs> yeah, no, um, yeah, I mean, Anthony Davis put up a stat line. I think it's 17-5, and five, and mm-hmm. nobody's done anything like that since Bob McAdoo did it, you know, 40, gosh, 40-some years ago. Wow. And they're the only two guys to do it since blocks have been tracked, which is pretty amazing. Um, nobody's ever questioned Anthony Davis's talent or ability. Mm-hmm. It's always been about his availability and how, mm-hmm. you know, whether or not he can keep himself healthy and on the floor. That's a skill in itself. I mean, I don't, I don't want anybody to assume that that's not just as important as anything else you're gonna do. You know, you gotta be able to stay healthy and, and stay in the mix. So, I, you know, but the, the Pelicans are one of those teams, you know, with Boogie going down. Um, again, another one of these teams that you look at and say, well, we know what we thought they might be, you know, when, when we thought they were healthy and had a chance to see what those two guys could do as a dynamic duo, as a tandem, you know, kind of a new age twin towers. Mm-hmm. And now we're not going to get a chance to see it based on the injury, but we get a chance to see just how good Anthony Davis is and what kind of force he can be as an individual, you know, superstar talent on that Pelicans team. Yeah, partially due to his consistency, well, partially due to the injury, uh, his consistency seems to be um, not there. Because, and then in the conversation for just like best players in the NBA, how, where do you think he lands in terms of best players in the NBA? Like, is he top five? Like, right there, three, four, five? Or do you think he's like lower? Um, if you're, I guess if you're not factoring in health, because yeah, yeah. Um, I think from a talent perspective, everybody looks at him and says this one's top five talent in the league. If you're just talking about size, skill, ability, mm-hmm. his youth, um, you What's know, like twenty-four. Yeah, I mean, everything he brings to the table, I mean, it's unbelievable to have that in a package, you know, a 6'11 guy who can do all the things he does. I remember I was at the London Olympics when he was on that team with all Mm -hmm. those established stars and how, you know, he was the future of the league at that time. He was like 20 then, right? 
Yeah, he was 20, yeah, he was, 21. He was a pup. He was he was the youngest guy on the team, and he, you know, people were surprised he even made it. But there were some injuries and other things that I think opened the door for him and, and allowed him to to make that roster. But even then, the veteran players were looking at him. You know, and Kevin Durant was on that team. That was KD's first time playing on the national team with LeBron and all those guys. I mean, Anthony Davis was clearly in that next group of guys. You know. Mm-hmm. who they thought would be at the forefront, you know, in terms of this guy's got a chance to be the face of the league one day. And the injuries, I think, have really held him back. That's what, that's been the thing that has hampered his progress. But when he's healthy and at his best, you know, he does he does things we haven't seen. And, and that's a testament to his talent and abilities. And uh, it's a matter of, like you said, consistency now. He's just got to stay healthy, stay in the mix and continue to, to go to work like that because he'll be in the MVP conversation every year. He'll he'll have his team in the playoff mix every year if he's healthy and playing to the full, you know, scope of his potential. So I, I think, you know, all you're doing is crossing your fingers if you're Pelican fans and hoping that he can avoid all these bumps and bruises that seem to get in his way. Yeah, the question is kind of more about contract-wise, he and Boogie and who's going to be there in the next in two years. Like, who's going to... I mean, I think he has got several, a couple of years left, several years left on his uh, contract. I think it's a 2021 probably. Um, but Boogie is a free agent in a couple months and as an injury, it's like, what do you sign him to? He's probably worth them some kind of max, but he's with his injury problems as well, as well as the other well documented things about him, uh, in terms of his moodiness, I guess you might say. Um, it's like, where is he going to go? And if, if he's not there, how, how good can Anthony Davis be, or as a team, can the Pelicans be? Uh, because he's, I mean, Anthony Davis is very, very, very good and is kind of incredible. But until that team is winning 50, 45 games, uh, it's going to be hard for him to be in the MVP conversation if he's not doing what Russell Westbrook did last year and averaging a triple-double, which I don't think he's going to do because his assist rates are never going to be high enough. Yeah. For that. Look, I don't think... You know, what they did was a grand experiment when, mm-hmm. when the Pelicans yeah. came Boogie. That, that experiment has been completely interrupted, obviously, by, by Boogie's Achilles injury. Um, mm-hmm. So, you you know, if you're the Pelicans, do you do you scrap that? Because the price tag is going to be enormous to have both of these guys on that roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, or do you... Do you see it through? Because you know that if it works, if you hit on something here... In a league full of, you know, homogenous systems where you look around and say everybody is trying to incorporate some form version of the pace and space game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and this would be one of the few teams, if not the only team, that is going against that grain, which mm-hmm. means it could set you apart and give you an opportunity if you, you know, the Pelicans to play a style that completely confounds the league. So I think I think you almost have to stick it out. Yeah, I think see it through. You know, I think it also maybe potentially translates that system with these big men translates better to the playoffs in terms of slowing down and shortening yes. rotations. Although I think they need they need a better I think I can't remember who it is right now, but they need a better they need more shooting more shooting a better shooting guard. I think it's basically all that the whole team seems to be Drew Holiday and Davis, and when Boogie's there, it's like now Miritich is there, but it's like. You got something, but you need to put some established players, a couple more around there. And eventually, as as if Boogie's healthy next year and he's there, 
they start winning, they'll attract those agents and they'll attract in trades the ability to get these people in free agency. If Boogie resigns, then they'll be have the ability to do that. I think. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I, mean, I think you. I think they're in the in one of those teams that's in the market for some of my favorite types of players. Um, mm-hmm. I call them the the uh, the professional shooters club. It's like the Jody Meeks, the Marco Bellinelli's. Oh like they, yeah. They need one of those journeyman assassin shooters to add to their mix to st- stretch the floor, even with Boogie. In the mix, healthy, they needed that. So that's not like, you know, it's not something yeah. that's just popped up since Boogie got hurt. But you're right. They need they need a supporting cast that complements their star players better than what they have right now. And that's, that's not on Alvin Gentry. That's no. not on Anthony Davis or Boogie. That's really on Dell Demps in the front mm-hmm. office to go out yeah. and put together the pieces around those guys that fit and allow them to be at their best. And that, to me, that's what the never-ending job is for front offices around the league in general. And I think if you look at a guy like Masai Ujiri in, in mm-hmm. Toronto, he's mastered that in terms of figuring out what complements his star players and then adding it. Toronto mm-hmm. has done it in a fashion this season, I think, that should be the envy of the league. Their pro personnel staff and their, their front office has done a great job of just finding r- the right pieces um, to put around their star players to give them a chance to compete at the highest level. Yeah, really, they have been doing well with the drafting and um, developing their players for sure. Um, let's uh, turn to the. What do you think about the, the Trailblazers? They're capped out. They just have it's. They have their players, and it just they kind of seem kind of stuck. It's, it doesn't seem like they can get. I mean, McCollum and Lillard are about as good as they should be going to be. I mean, obviously, people can take slight, slight leaps in different ways, but it's like, what do they do in the off season? Because they'll presumably make the pl- make the playoffs and then be okay in it. But like you said, we have no idea if they're going to make the second round, um, especially if they hit seven or eight seed. So what do you think they uh, need to do or should do? You know, that's a tough question. They, they certainly have a ceiling as a group. And when you spent the way they have, um, you know, to, to retain a lot of your own guys, um, mm-hmm. that means you have to either buy in on them continuing to develop and get better, um, you know, to grow and, and uh, you know, fit better around those guys, or you have to use those guys that you've paid handsomely as assets to go mm-hmm. out and, and reshape your roster, uh, yeah. which is a very difficult thing to do when you don't have, uh, you know, the sort of flexibility you might like. Some of those contracts are not good-looking contracts. They're not assets that are as tradable as they might have been in a previous uh, era of the league. You know, mm. I think this this current CBA has changed the dynamics on things like that. Mm. And, uh, you know, Myers Leonard, um, you know, Evan Turner, yes. all, of, all of those guys, those, their contracts are, are not nearly as friendly to move as they would have been in, in previous, you know, uh, iterations of the league. And, and that makes it more difficult. But I think when you start – you know, when when your starting point is superstar talent, and I think Damian Lillard might be one of the more underrated, you know, potential superstar, superstars. And really, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to use that, throw that word around lightly, superstars. But, yeah. you know, that's a guy who is a game changer, you know, takes a franchise from, you know, the lottery level into the playoff contention. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and I think Lillard is one of those guys. C.J. McCollum is the ideal, you know, uh, Robin or wingman or whatever you want to call him. Yeah. You know, to to Dame's, uh, you know, lead guy. And you're right. It, it becomes an issue where, you know, Neil O'Shea in the front office in Portland has to find a way. You have to be creative um, in, in, you know, rejuvenating and reshaping your roster. Sam Presti has done it as well or better than anybody I can think oh, of. Oh, yeah. Just continually going back and, and doing things to, to change the DNA of his team, which you have to be risk, a risk taker and fearless and uh, and do what Kobe Altman did, I thought, at the trade deadline for the Cavaliers, which is just, you know, recognize whatever mistakes you've made as a front office and then go about the business of fixing them. It's mm-hmm. the only way you change the makeup of your team. And, and Portland has to go about that because they're going to hit that ceiling. You know, they're going to hit a ceiling in terms of the talent they have and what they can do in the postseason. And and they'll be faced with the same questions again, over and over again, until they change their DNA. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they have Nurkic, but it's like, do they ch- get rid of, or they do they trade McCollum or Lillard to, um, along with other stuff to get rid of it? Because you have to get rid of that Leonard or the other contracts. You're gonna have you might uh, Myers Leonard. You might have to like uh, give up first, and then you need that first to to make give yourself some young talent that's cheap. Yeah, I mean, look, in in young talent is. You know, the assets that you get in, you know, in the draft or that you can acquire from in some form or fashion, that's always been, uh, you know, the, the the holy grail, you know, in the NBA is trying to find that next superstar. Do you draft him? Do you trade for him? Do you stumble upon him some kind of way mm-hmm. um, when people, you know, maybe don't project the guy to become that type of player? It's difficult, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you don't get to draft a transcendent player all the time just because you have a, a lottery pick in the top four or five. Just 13 is the poster person for that. Yeah, Thank goodness. Yeah. That draft. Um, so it's just, you know, it becomes a thing where you're always working the angles in the front office to me um, to maneuver and put yourself in a position so when you do have that opportunity, you're ready. You know, you are you have everything aligned in your organization to pounce when you have that opportunity. And that you never know when that's going to happen, so you have to always be ready and always be working to put yourself in that spot. Absolutely. Um, we talked about Toronto for a second, but I'm curious if you – are the Cavaliers uh, the front runner for the East just because LeBron is LeBron? Or do you think Toronto and or Boston, uh, with or without Hayward, has a chance um, to uh-huh. knock them off? Well, I don't think Hayward is going to be a possibility for Boston as much as it. People are intrigued by that uh-huh. idea, and and I know we like to speculate about what, you know him potentially coming mm-hmm. back. I just think that would be asking for Gordon Hayward to do something that really is outside the box. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. want I my that. star player to to feel the pressure to try and come back from that sort of injury. Um, but you never know. It depends on how deep. They play into the postseason. How good? How good are they going to be next year? My goodness. Yeah, I mean, and, and you're you're playing a long game if you're Boston. You're not. I mean, as much as you would love to go back to the conference finals again and have a chance to play your way into the final, Danny Ainge is playing a longer game than that. He's, mm-hmm. he's got 
he's set up to to compete beyond this season, and he knows it. He's got the young talent and and all sorts of assets to continue an upward trajectory in Boston. Why would you risk Gordon Hayward? You know, for a momentary flash that may or may not be there. You know, there's no there's no guarantee that he would even get close to his his pre-injury level if he were to try and come back. Um, exactly. Toronto, I think, has a has a more pressing time frame in terms of they have to look at what they have and say we we have a chance to be an elite team right now, and if there is an opportunity for us to you know do anything to feel that or to you know to bolster that we do it um you know whatever that might be so yeah i think i think the pressure from a time perspective is on more in toronto right now than it is in boston and yeah the the cavaliers have the benefit of lebron in his recent history of going to the finals every year for the last seven years working on their side but we're assuming that he's going to be able to do it for an eighth straight year, which is is a grand assumption because LeBron is, you know, he's on a different stage of in his career. Fifteen mm-hmm. years in, I don't know that we should just take that for granted that he'll he'll be able to provide his team with that kind of boost every single year like this. I I think we we got to be careful with that this season. Yeah, with the players they have, I mean, like I know that the trade deadline that Kobe Allman did there to get a Nance and Clarkson Hill and. Uh, and Hood was really good for them. And I think they needed to get younger and definitely for sure. Um, and it just kind of fixed the chemistry problem they were having. But they definitely are the, uh, not the weakest, but the uh, most vulnerable to uh, Toronto and uh, maybe even a Boston to knock them off in the, the conference finals. Um, but the question, until I see LeBron fail in the playoffs, I can't bet against them in a sense. Yeah. I mean, nobody wants to bet against LeBron, um, you know, like I said, based on that, most recent history, but I, I it's it's got to end at some point. I mean, I can't imagine he's going <laughs> to, you know, he's going to do this for the remainder of his career. That would be a remarkable run, whether they were to win championships or not. So, yeah, uh, I think his decline will be it will be somewhat swifter than most because his uh, shot seems to be uh, go it comes and goes as it were. I think I was talking to Michael Lee of Yahoo, and he was saying. I mean, he basically chooses. It feels like he chooses if he wants to be good at threes within a game or within a within a season, and it just kind of comes and goes. And he's not necessarily going to be a uh, I don't know pick a pick an older guy that played well into their late. I mean, Jamal not Jamal Crawford, who's five years older than him, maybe. Um, yeah. Not Manny Ginobili. It's not Vince Carter, who has the ability to kind of remake themselves. I mean, he probably could, but. Question is, is he going to go out on top whenever he wants to? Which who knows? Um, let's see here. Well, we've talked about the league, I think, enough. I'd love to talk about the Phoenix Suns, because that's where I'm based and know a lot more about that than anything else necessarily. Well, we had talked about, let's talk about Devin Booker. Let's get your initial thoughts first. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm biased. Um, you know, I'm a proud Grand Rapids, Michigan native, as is Devin Booker. Um, and since I, I learned of his background when he was in high school I, I was curious that he didn't go to Michigan that he went to Kentucky <laughs> instead um, but I followed him nonetheless and have been a, a staunch believer that he is the uh, I always like to joke that he is the long lost splash brother uh, he got separated from his two older brothers in uh, in Oakland 
Um, but, uh, you know, I think he's a, you know, people always ask, like, who are the young players that you look at and say, this guy's got a chance to be a superstar. For today's game, this, this era's game, the, the way he generates offense, as, you know, individually to me, says that this guy has a chance to be, uh, you know, a perennial all-star. But he's, you know, he's in a situation right now in Phoenix where, you know, he's, it's not optimal. You know, he's doing big things and obviously had a huge, you know, all-star weekend winning the, you know, the three-point shootout and doing what everybody already knows about him. You know, he, he can score with the very best of them in the league right now, even toe deep into his career. So that tells you potentially what he might be capable of. He's, I think he's a better all-around player than people recognize. Um, and because you don't see him on a nightly basis, you know, in terms of the, the national picture on TNT or, you know, ESPN, you, there are a lot of people who maybe don't recognize just how good he is. But, you know, you know, you've seen him, the size, you know, to, to be his size with his ability um, and to be so young, you know, you look at it and say, man, there, there's no telling how good he can get in the next few years if he continues to work and, and his game matures and gets better and his situation improves. Absolutely. I mean, he, he blew, like you mentioned, he, he blew the record for the three-point shootout um, out of the water. I mean, he faced Clay Thompson and beat him by three points. And Clay, Clay's um, final 25 points would win almost every other yeah, I mean, every other that's ever happened, and he beat it by three points. And it's just he had, his uh, defense has improved in terms of effort and uh, consistency in terms of technique uh, this year. His floor game is the passing was already been better um, last year, and it's continuing to improve. People, I mean, there's something to be said about um, usage rate and, and uh, playing for a bad team when there's no pressure and stuff. But there is, I mean. 70 points is 70 points, and obviously that game is in, you might call it controversy just because of losing the fouling, but he had 60 before anything was even, it was crazy. And, uh, just the ability, I think, I think I haven't checked lately, but he's up there in terms of the 30 point games this year, um, in terms of uh, 30, you know, 25, 5, 5, 5 games, things that are, it's only him, and then and if you filter, it by people who are 21 and older. It's basically always him, LeBron, and Durant, or him, Carmelo, and LeBron, something like that, of uh, people who have done what he's done. And it's just combined with this team. I mean, you don't expect this team. I am quite young, and I only two players on this team are older than me. And <laughs> it, it's Dudley and Chandler, and there's no reason they should be winning in any games. I mean, we're not, it's not a bad, it's the, I think it's the worst team in the league right now, but it's nothing compared to that, uh, Sixers team that won nine games. Or 11 yeah, games. so, look, there's, you know, the problem is, and I, and I say this all the time about young teams, I, I've covered some really young teams over the course of my career and watched the different ways they've been put together and, and, you know, franchises have tried to, uh, you know, stir that pot and get them all to improve it. You know, it's so difficult you know, trying to keep a handful of young guys, you know, all moving in the right direction, you know, at the same time. It's a juggling act for a franchise. You know, sometimes it's better when you are one of maybe just a couple of young, you know, prodigious, prodigious talents that they're working on and, and trying to 
crap the team around because then they can focus more on you. Um, I don't think it's wise for anybody just to dismiss the sort of numbers Devin Booker puts up. Like you said, when you when you do things and the only there's only two or three guys mentioned in that category at your age, that means it's not just hollow numbers. That's it's not just mm-hmm. something that you're throwing out there and saying, well, you know, he's getting volume, you know, shots on a bad team. Therefore, he's doing this, this, and that. It's different. I mean, you know, to to be able to score the way he he can uh, is is rare. And mm-hmm. for a guy that young in his career, for a guy who didn't come into the league guaranteed to be a superstar player, I, I remember close. he was coming out of college and people were questioning, like, wow, he came off the bench in Kentucky, and how good could he be? This and the other, he he almost would have benefited to me, and not that he would have appreciated it probably. But man, could you imagine if he had slid down further in the draft to one of the more veteran teams where he would have been able to come in and play on a you know a playoff team even? Um, man, you know to add that kind of talent. The question you know, is the would have would is would have, would have he have developed as much if he had had been kept on a leash on a playoff team and. Captain his role at Kentucky of being only a spot up shooter because he has that floor game. I mean, when he entered the league, I think I was on podcast and I was doing this one, and it was like, okay, so it's ceiling is JJ Redick or something. And then, <laughs> then, and then we're like coming, we're coming through the year later after his rookie year, and we're like, okay, it's, pro- it's ceiling's probably Clay. And now he's right. doing all star stuff. And a side note, the fact that people would say that Lou Williams was an all star snub, but not Booker, even though Booker has. Like I think clearly better numbers overall. Anyway, and Clippers had like three more wins than them. Anyway, that's my only rant. Um, <laughs> that I mean, he, it's not just shooting; it's the it's rebounds and the it's just everything's crazy. Yeah, so he he's he's doing what he needs to, and it's it's incredible. I mean, you watch him; he has the leadership he has leadership qualities that you just don't see from twenty one year olds. He is in a league of his own, and people. Don't give credit. Oh, the the the, the uh, ceiling. So Clay Thompson. Now it's like seems like it's like Harden. Um, and he, but like to me, to versus him versus Clay. I want to hear your thoughts on this. On after I give versus Harden versus uh, versus uh, Clay. Like, um, the Booker is already a better um driver dribbler than Clay because, but he's obviously and he's about the same shooter. And Clay is obviously way better defense right now. Yeah. So it's like they're somewhat equals, even though Clay is like six years older. Um, for Harden, I think Booker is slightly better defender, just only slightly, because he just tries harder and but Harden's still a better he's better at getting fouls. Also he's also a star player, so he gets the more fouls. And uh he's a better playmaker at the moment and better passer. What do you think about those and uh where could Devin Booker improve other than just being a better defender in terms of effort and technique. Yeah. I, well, look, I don't I, – I hate playing the comparison game. A lot mm-hmm. of times I always go, man, you know, that's – I don't think it's fair. Bill, Bill Russell said something to me interesting. I interviewed him um, in Houston during All-Star mm-hmm. Weekend a few oh, yeah. years ago, and I made the mistake of asking him a comparison question. Oh, man. You know, and he kind of lit into me and was like, listen, stop, stop asking these current players to, to play against ghosts. He's like, that's uh-huh. not – not a fair question. It's not a fair thing to compare them to guys who played in different eras 
and to kind of hold him up to that light, which is odd because what else do we do in sports <laughs> other than, you know, compare players across eras? Um, I think, you know, just from a profile standpoint, Clay is the best, you know, com- you know, comparison for, for Booker. Mm-hmm. Um, and before people dismiss that and say, well, Clay is just, Clay Thompson could play on about 15 to 20 other teams in the mm-hmm. league and get 30 a night. 30. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's playing on a team and, and is a, is an outstanding two-way player, arguably one of the best shooters we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a knockdown shooter, uh, a crazy can go off the rails score when he mm-hmm. wants to. Yep. And, you know, in, only a few guys, a handful of guys are capable of. And then he's good enough to to guard one through three in the most pressure-packed, you know, stage in the league, in the finals. He's shown us all of this already. If that is your player comparison and your Devin Booker, no offense to James Harden, I don't know that that's any more impressive because what Harden has done and is doing is something totally different, which is mm, yeah. being the, you know, the the star vehicle, um, you know, in a totally different system. He's not, you know, he, he was in a, on a conglomerate team early in his career uh, when he was the sixth man in Oklahoma city, but he was clearly the third guy among those. Oh three yeah. He was not in, I remember the, the, the playoff series where he just like ghosted completely. Yeah, like, he disappeared in the finals. Everybody, you know, has that in there, in the back of their head about him now. And it's the one thing that you say about Harden that he's got to conquer his postseason demon and, and get, if, if we're going to take him and place him in that elite category, and then he, he very well could and probably should win the Kia MVP this season. I but think he, he will have to, yeah, but I mean, I think, he will have to back that up with a postseason effort and showing that that matches that, you know, mm-hmm. that that's worthy of that award. So, yeah, I, I think I love the the Clay Thompson comparison for Booker, and the fact that Booker maybe is a little bit um, better off the dribble for sure right now <laughs> at the yeah. end of his career, and potentially as good offensively since. I mean, that's an amazing statement when you consider how good Clay is. Yeah, he's, he's pretty good. Um, to, to go back to the Suns kind of a little bit, I know I don't want to get into too many people and I don't want to keep you that much, but uh, what do you think about some of the younger guys, Bender, Jackson, Warren, um, even Peyton or uh, Land, Bender, Al Williams, whoever you know more about or what you think about those guys? Well, Jackson is one of my favorite guys. He was one of my favorite guys in this past draft. Mm-hmm. Um, the athleticism, you know, anytime you're the number one player in your high school class coming up, that means you've you've already adopted, you know, and I don't care what year it is. I don't care if you're the best ninth grader, best tenth grader, mm-hmm. you know, best considered the best player when you're in 11th, 12th grade, whatever. When you've had that on your shoulders at some point coming up, it tells me that you are – you're a a talent that's that that attracts that kind of attention mm-hmm. and and those sorts of um, you know evaluations from people says something about you and if you hold that you know if you carry that multiple years 
coming up before you enter the league. That tells me that you're a guy who's built for the pressures that come with that sort of stature once you get in the league. So mm-hmm. I have high hopes for what he could become as a as a player. Some of those other guys you mentioned, though, um, you know, War- I think Warren's a solid player. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Alex Lynn, I, I made comments when he was coming out that, you know, I was kind of surprised that, hey, if, if you're a lottery pick, if you're supposed to be a top 10 pick, and, and people don't remember the noise you made, you know, in, internationally or on the college level before you got here, that is an issue. That's a concern for me, mm-hmm. a red flag, yeah. that if you haven't been a dominant player at whatever level you played at before you get to the league, I always wonder, like, why haven't we seen this person who every, all the decision makers think has all this talent stick out mm-hmm. in the crowd, you know, and before now? Like, I don't like taking a chance on somebody who hasn't exhibited those sorts of traits. Mm-hmm. And that always worried me about Alex Lynn. Um, yeah, he was shooting, and he, he got rid of the shot pretty much this year. And he's, I mean, I've only seen him take a couple, a handful of jumpers. And he's become more explosive and better on the defensive end, and he's become more sure-handed around the basket. And sure, yeah. he's not—he's not, he's not going to ever be good. I mean, he's not—he's not Gobert. He's not like somebody just like dominant around there. He's not Tyson Chandler, for instance. No. Um, but he's—he is skilled. He's getting more explosive and a little better on passing and things like that. But uh, the, yeah, the, the for thing that. I like about best about him is that he's gotten sturdier. Like mm-hmm. yeah. what he holds his position much better now. Obviously, as he's grown and, and physically gotten bigger and stronger that because that's always your concern you know same with Ben um mm-hmm. you know you wonder like man is this guy gonna have that, that that's always my main concern for young players will this guy be able to manage at at his position in the league like can mm-hmm. he go out and how does he stack up against the other guys he will have to guard or they will be guarding him night in and night out in the league and that's how you can that's how you gauge what you have in a player. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about Devin Booker. Like, if Booker comes in and he can hang with the other top shooting guards in the league in terms of scoring and, and impacting the game, that's a that's a great sign early on. Mm-hmm. I think we don't, you know, there are question marks still for Lynn yeah. and Bender and some of those other young guys, and that's where your concerns lie. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're so, they're so young. I mean, Bender, they're, they're, I don't think, I think Bender's only 20. Um, Chris is 20. I'm not much of a, as much of a Chris guy as a lot of people. Um, but definitely a Bender Jackson guy. Warren, like we talked about, he just needs to get a better defense. He just, yeah. he just gets out of position so easily. Um, but his off-ball cutting is the best I've seen since Dwayne Wade, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, uh, in terms of Bender, he's just so skilled. I mean, his three-point is coming together right now. Um, in terms of Jackson, his release, I'm watching, I'm a impact certified for, uh, for training, um, mm-hmm. in terms of, uh, basketball. So his, his release is going to get smoothed out, and he's already making it at a way higher rate than I was thought he was going to, even as a rookie. And uh, he's he's going to be fine. He's going to be a pretty good player, I think. I think Jackson's ceiling is higher than I thought it was when he was drafted. Um, and we'll see what happens with him. Uh, yeah. So the question is, with all these young guys, if they can get like Luka Donich from from overseas or Aiden mm-hmm. or somebody like. Or even even Trey Young, even though I'm not as much on that because him and Booker together is not the greatest in terms of defensive backcourts. Um, right. Even even if they have say, but say you get you get Donich, Donich, Booker, Jackson, Bender, whoever Tyson Chandler for now, Len Allen Williams, 
I mean, none, Suns, but like I always say, the Suns have four backup centers and no starting centers. What they really have. <laughs> but that's, I mean, if you get Aiton, then okay, then you're set. But you can only get basically one of Aiton or Donich, even though they have like three first round picks potentially. Um, in terms of the Bucks, one, the Miami one, and their own. So it's you got to kind of see if they can do what they did when they to get Chris, which is say combine the Milwaukee one if it, if it transfers and the Miami one, see if you can get in the top twelve something and see what you can get because it's a decently deep draft in certain ways. Obviously, there's different tiers. It's gonna be pretty interesting to see what they can do. But they they need to consolidate because they cannot afford to have they can have they can afford, basically afford to have one more young player. And after this draft, it's you go for it. You go you start signing veterans and you start working on it because there's nowhere else you can go. You can't get any younger. Right. Um, I I think, you know, you look at it and you have to ask yourself some hard questions. Like, mm-hmm. are, you know, this guy, Keeper, if he's not, then you start, uh, you know, doing whatever it takes to move some of that young talent out because not every – look, when you're drafting over and over again in the lottery – you're not going to hit every time, obviously. Mm-hmm. You're going to miss more often than you hit. And that means some of those young players you acquire are not going to be core guys. They're not going to mm-hmm. be guys you look at and say, this guy is a surefire part of our core group that we're going to have going forward. And the sooner you admit the mistakes you've made and, and rectify them as an organization, the, the easier it is to continue to build and and move you know guys around and figure out what you have. Um, really – Love or hate the process. I think Philly has had a very interesting ride. You know, when you think about mm-hmm. the the high picks they had, you know, Michael Carter Williams, rookie of the year. They, you know, they moved on from him and kept trying to figure out which pieces would fit and work. They've now got a couple of young core franchise pillars and, you know, and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons to build around no matter what else they did. And mm-hmm. to me, I, you know, people ask question at the start of the season, you know, what do you have to do um, if you're the Phoenix Suns to, you know, to get out of this rut and get back into this? Well, you have to build with your best players in mind. So that means you have to find a guy that complements, you know, what you already have. And your best player is Devin Booker. That mm-hmm. means you find somebody now who complements him, who doesn't take away from what he does best or won't infringe on what he does best. And I, I think Aiden is a big monster who's going to be a very you know dynamic impactful player early in his career wherever he goes um, and he would look great you know in a system where you have him you know inside and out and then you have Devin Booker you know as a dominant perimeter player so yeah you you have to look at it and say what fits where Josh Jackson is a keeper already you know that Mm-hmm. Um, Len may not, Len, yeah, Len may not be. No, beyond. I mean, there's no shame in, in looking at it and saying that beyond that, there are some guys who may or may not be fit long term, mm-hmm. and that's fine. You, you know, when you're trying to to build and get back to a playoff level, I know it's been a long time uh, for the Suns. You know, longer than probably anybody imagined. You have to make some of those hard choices. Yeah, they had to revamp. They had to revamp because that those first three years after Steve Nash was gone. They went about the wrong way, um, because going for like the Hedu Turkaloos and all the Hakeem War, I can't believe, that's why I started doing sports writing and it was, I couldn't believe what was happening there. Um, but now they had, but McDonough came in as a GM and he's refilled the cupboards as it were. 
And now they have all the young, they have all the picks and all the young assets, and they'll move forward here in a in a good way. You hope so. I mean, that's the thing. You have to. I always say, you know, it's it's one thing to have the tools to to rebuild. It's another thing to know how to do it. In mm-hmm. the, Absolutely. In the, so it's it's a it's not one continuous process. To me, it's it's all these different compartmentalized processes that you have to tend to. Um, you know, because you can't damage your culture in the process of trying to win. Like, you bring in certain veterans when you're at the stage your sons are now, and there have to be guys like Tyson Chandler who are imparting the right kinds of messages to those young guys. So if and when he's no longer a part of that core group, the the positives that he brought to that situation resonate and are still there. And and that's tough to do because, you, you know, veterans in those situations have very different votes. They have, you know, things that they're trying to get done at the ends or later in their careers that don't coincide with the, you know, the messaging and the team building, you know, components that have to go into it when you're talking about grooming a young group of guys to be the, you know, your core group for hopefully what's a, a, you know, a playoff caliber era of basketball for your franchise. So it's all, those things are always, crashing into each other, those different motives. Yeah, that's why Jared Dudley and, and Chandler are perfect. I mean, some they, they start – if someone comes in the NBA, they're all about proving themselves. You know, they payday, then they're about maximizing their payday. Then they're about um, championships and legacy. And then they get to the age, just like Chandler is, where it's, it's about passing it on and being a kind of an ambassador and a culture changer. <laughs> And also kind of imparting yeah. the the value to those young guys in ter- sort of altruistic fashion. Yes, and I think it takes a very specific veteran player to do that. Um, not, you know, they're not all gonna take to that role the way mm-hmm. you might like, you know, because yeah. some of them have egos that tell them, "Hey, I'm still this level of player. Why should I spend my time?" You know trying to groom the guys who are, who are shoving me out of the, out of the way, you know. Yeah. But I think it's irresponsible as a veteran player in this league to not impart the wisdom on the guys coming up that that was usually given to you at some point by given a veteran player when you started the league. It's, it's, it's kind of the brotherhood that, that the players need to to be mindful of as they go through the course of their careers. Um, uh, before I ask any other thoughts, uh, one quick, quick, fast one. Uh, who was Rookie of the Year? I'm, I think Ben Simmons has done enough to win it, but I, I'll be honest with you. If Donovan Mitchell finishes the way he's played here recently, it's going to be a much tighter race than people imagine. I think it'll be much closer than any of us thought it might be when Ben Simmons, you know, got off to his monster start. And, and I know people say Ben Simmons is not a real rookie. He's had the red shirt, yeah, right. and blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, let's let's just call it what it is. It's his first year playing. Um, yeah. So I don't think – I don't have an issue with him being in that race. I don't either. I always thought it was just kind of annoying that they called him rookies even when he technically was drafted earlier. But I think that he's definitely eligible. For some reason, I'm thinking Donovan Mitchell is the one. I, he's kind of amazing. But I don't know if you heard that uh, people are like sometimes comparing Donovan Mitchell to uh, Booker. It's kind of funny to me. Um, even I heard though, yeah. That, that I thought was more apt that I, that I didn't think about until I heard it the other day. And somebody said they, that he reminded them of Dwayne Wade when Wade was a rookie. And I covered Wade's 
in the playoffs his rookie season. Um, and I thought about it. I was like, wow, he does kind of remind you of a rookie way. You know, the, you, not the, yeah, not the yeah. way we see now, but the way who was kind of a hybrid, you know, point guard slash, you know. He didn't shoot threes a ton when he was a rookie, but he was he played the point. Like, they played yeah. him. As a point guard against New Orleans mm-hmm. in the playoffs his rookie year, and he was really good. I, I was yeah. I covered that series. He, he had a really nice series and kind of announced himself on that on that postseason stage. Then very nice, very nice. Um, any other final thoughts about the Suns or the NBA as we get off here? Um, no, just I mean, keep a good eye on Devin Booker for me. Um, <laughs> will do. He's got a whole city. Um, watching him and, and rooting for him, so it's it's good to see. We don't have many. NBA players from Grand Rapids in the league ever, let alone <laughs> doing what he's doing. So it's 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 really nice to see him uh, get to that level and and, and have the success he has. Absolutely, um, Siku, why don't you uh, uh, plug what you got going on, and we'll get out of here. Yeah, every week on Apple Podcasts and uh, IR Radio and NBA.com, we got the Hang Time Podcast. Myself, Greg Anthony, John Schumann popping in with us every week. Um, Certainly, you can catch our, our work on NBA.com and NBA TV um, on 10 Before Tips on Wednesdays with Jerry Greenberg and, uh, and then on Game Time on Wednesday nights um, with a David Griffin guy who's got some mm-hmm. uh, ties, obviously, to the Suns organization, who's been fantastic to work with, by the way. Oh, yeah. um, and, and certainly our Wednesday night crew has been fun. But you can, you know, catch the work there and, and the insights on NBA.com on Fridays. The MVP ladder, key racing the MVP ladder every week um, until the season wraps up. And, you know, it's, it's a huge community out there, obviously. Uh, the NBA podcast sphere, blogosphere, the whole, all of it has grown tremendously in the time I've been covering the league. So it's always fun to, to be able to get, get on somebody else's show and talk about the league. And I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, David Griffin, I wanted to have him on for his son stuff. He, he was, I heard his podcast with Zach Lowe. That was so good. Yeah, he's fantastic. Really um, you all thank you at CQ. Uh, everybody, this is the Solar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Saar. If you, you can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Um, also, I have a, if you're in Phoenix and you happen to listen to this and you want to get better at basketball, I'm uh, certified by Impact Basketball, and my business is called Elite Hoops Development, EliteHoopsDevelopment.com. Check me out on Instagram and everywhere else. Um, uh, thank you again, CQ. Have a great day, everybody, and go watch some basketball. <laughs>